Hi, I'm Stacy Jagger. Welcome to the Inspiring Families podcast. Our goal is to help families heal, grow, and thrive by offering encouragement and empowering family members to connect with one another. Well, I'm super excited to introduce all of you to one of my very favorite, and I really actually mean this, favorite people on the planet, Deanne Chomiak with Philosophy of Leisure. And we're going to be talking today about this idea of rest, of balance, of reverse engineering your life so that you're really focusing on what brings you peace and joy and love and energy and focusing on those things first and then adding in your work around that, which is just a really interesting concept, Deanne. I think most of us in America, you know, we kind of plow forward and do all the things hoping that we have time to go for a walk. Now, maybe we'll have time for this or that, but you really have a completely different way of looking at this. And as I'm trying to inspire families, you know, to really think about things um, from a different perspective, I wanted to have this conversation with you. I want to know how you stumbled upon this concept. Um, I looked at your Instagram the other day. I think there's like 71,000 people following you, which is absolutely fantastic, which really speaks to the need when you think about it. Like what a huge need. Deanne is now a coach. She has a long background in the financial services industry, has an amazing story of success in that world but also has a story of what money can and cannot do for you. And I think it's just a great, interesting conversation we can have. And I'm super happy to learn from you today, Deanne, one of my favorite people on the whole planet. Welcome. Way about you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and I adore you. I love all the work you do. And um, so it's, it's absolutely a pleasure to be here. So Deanne, talk to me about how you stumbled upon this idea of reverse engineering life in such a way where we don't wait until we're retired to enjoy life, but we get to enjoy life now, which looks like rest and balance and investing in yourself in a way that brings you joy one day at a time. I know there's a lot of similarities to this model with the 12-step recovery world, which I've been a part of since I was 19. So I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to listen to you. And we'll just have an informal, fun little conversation today. How about that? Perfect. Sounds great. Well, um, as you said, it is a recovery model. Um, I came out this from the perspective of a workaholic, um, someone that had always used work and achievement Um, to kind of try and fill a hole for things that were missing in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, I tell people who are in recovery for substances or shopping or other things, you know, when an addiction is very, very socially acceptable, like working hard is or exercising or being thin, it makes it even that much harder to stop because your identity is so wrapped up in this achievement. Mm-hmm. As you said, you know, especially in the investment world, I am am still the only woman to run an investment distribution company in America. And it was very, very hard um, when I started realizing that I had reached the pinnacle. I'd gone further than I ever expected I would. And I still felt soul sick. Like I felt so mm-hmm. totally emptier 
than I'd ever felt in my life. And Mm. it, it really kind of snapped me out of it. But this was in 2009. When I left that world, I was burning out. I had a really unhealthy lifestyle. And at that time, I thought I had two choices. I could either stay. Um, I really thought there was something wrong with me. I didn't, you know, that why couldn't I keep up and keep working 80 hours a week? And why wasn't all this money and stuff fulfilling me the way I thought it would an achievement? Yeah, right. I thought the choices were either to stay and really work myself to death or to check out, you know, to raise chickens or to move to the French countryside. <laughs> I, I didn't think there was anything. <laughs> So, you know, Deanne, I did the chicken thing. Let's just skip the chickens. I did that for you and for me. Okay. Keep talking. Well, I, was, I was going to say, you know me. So the chicken route was not going to be for me. So I went to the French countryside. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And to Italy and to South Africa and to Bermuda and all over England. I just went wherever the wind blew me for a year. I was, you know, very blessed that I had a little bit of, um, of money that I was able to kind of just try and reset and figure out how to find that causeless joy I had as a kid, that joy for just no reason when you're sitting in fresh mown grass and you're just happy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really, I really went lots of places looking for it. I still didn't really understand though, what was ailing me. Um, And so through a lot of trial and error, I kept trying to find a different model. And what I realized was that if I if I didn't put guardrails around my workday as a workaholic, it was super easy to just flip right back into those, those habits that, that weren't yeah. healthy for me. So um, I decided to do some research, you know, lots and lots of scientifically reviewed papers, lots and lots of, um, you know, neuroscientists and all sorts of things. And Mm-hmm. I started putting together um, this puzzle of things that actually are proven time and time again to help humans be healthy and happy. They are things like relationships and movement, you know, exercise like walking, gentle movement, mm-hmm. lifelong learning, um, a faith practice of some sort. It doesn't have to be traditional, but a faith practice right. of some sort, all of those things. And so I kind of put, you know, bookends on either one of my work day to prevent me from being able to work more than eight to 10 hours a day. And, um, and it really started working so well, the happiness started returning, my health started returning, I I was being more creative, more innovative, I was actually being more successful and making more money in my work. And Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is something I've got to share with other people. And so that's kind of how philosophy of leisure came to being. And so now I help people. And it's, it's interesting because it's, it's not just CEOs and people from the business world, it's musicians, it's website designers, it's entrepreneurs, it's stay at home moms who are just overachievers at being stay at home moms. And yeah, absolutely. Um, And so I kind of brought this model and it's been really, really helpful. We've been really delighted. So I am just, I'm just guessing that when people first kind of are introduced to this idea that um, they may even come up with something like a plan that may not be very realistic in the beginning. Is that, is that common? Are you seeing that? The most common, thing like I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a two hour yoga class in the yes. morning and I'm going to, you know, like this is what I'm going to do. 
so did they swing it the other direction and then they kind of come to the middle ground? Like what has been your experience so far coaching people? I'm just curious. No, I usually have the opposite problem. Like I, I joke that I wished I had just one client that would say that, that I'm going to go all in the other way and you help me kind of moderate. No, I really oftentimes have to drag them kicking and screaming to take lunch, to take 30 minutes from lunch, um, to not wow. do their practice first thing in the morning. They just can't I mean, I, I heard somebody just recently, actually on the 10% Happier podcast, um, mm-hmm. and talking about addiction and saying that that the primary addiction is to identity, is to self, and all the others are can come from that. And I thought, it's true, isn't it? Because if our identity is being this fantastic worker, this fantastic mother or dad, this fantastic CEO, um, this fantastic website designer, this fantastic whatever, or being you know, um, a writer who, who is fueled by alcohol or Mm. whatever it is, your identity is really the first. And so getting people to pry, you know, prying people's fingers off of this overachievement is really difficult. So I usually have to start very slowly and just get them to do one thing at a time. And then as they feel better and they see that their life doesn't implode, then they get much, much more, um, invested in the process. And, but I don't have anyone that I took them from working 16 or 17 or 18 hours a day. And now they only work for that, that, that just doesn't happen. Um, it's much more this incremental process because they are just so attached to that identity of being a super achiever in whatever they do. You know what, Deanne, my father was a lifetime alcoholic mm-hmm. and Um, I think about, uh, the way that I was raised, I was evicted 15 times by the time I left home at 16. I've told you this before. Mm -hmm. Um, and how, um, how bad that looks publicly. Mm -hmm. And yet I work, the research shows that children of alcoholics and children of workaholics, that the effects are exactly the same which is mind blowing when you think about it, right? Well, they're all serving or the same problem, which is to distance ourselves from relationships, from the things that are uncomfortable. It it protects us, we think, from getting close to others or or being vulnerable. And so, yes, it Mm -hmm. does. that. And I have said, I have family members, as you and I have spoken about, that have um, substance abuse issues and other issues. And they've come in and they've apologized. They've made their amends. And, you know, of mm-hmm. course, but I've also said to them, just because my addictions were so socially acceptable, do not for one minute believe that they weren't just as awful in the consequences for, for you and for me. And um, it's a really eye-opening kind of conversation. But yeah, you and I have talked about our, our childhoods not being ideal, let's say. And so we did swing so far the other way. We wanted this, you know, security of, of knowing that we wouldn't be evicted or in my case that I wouldn't be shunned because I hadn't achieved enough or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And you and I have also discussed about um, many of the people that I coach, they are still trying to prove something to someone from their achievement even if that person is no longer living and they just don't realize mm-hmm. still trying to prove something or to protect themselves from that uncertainty of their childhood. And mm-hmm. 
no way to do it as you as you know there's no way to make sure that you're safe so it's really uh, and more talking with you it's more about connecting really well to yourself right so that you know that your identity who you are is not what you do it's not um the label that's put on you and you know i i don't know if you've read the the book the surrender experiment with michael singer um, or this naked now with Richard Rohr, but it, there, it's this idea of really understanding that you are not your thoughts, you are not your job, and to get kind of behind all of that and to start to connect with who you are on the inside without, so you can observe your thoughts, you can observe what you do, but who you are is very much separate from that. And it sounds like you've kind of stumbled upon a way of working with people that helps them to connect better to themselves. Yes, that's exactly it. And, um, you know, it's also not the shoes you wear, you know, or the number of passport stamps you have in your passport or how large your house is. Those are the clients I get. You know, I I um, I have a Jimmy Choo named after me and. You know, that was a core part of my identity. What I, I was the number one. Um, client of Jimmy Choo at South Coast Plaza in, in Southern California for many years. And that became part of my identity. And whether I wanted to be that or not, I really felt like that that was one of the things that people liked about me and, you know, liked being around me, no matter how much it was hurting my heart to think that's who I was, because your brain subconsciously knows that's not okay. That's not healthy. And that you can't possibly buy enough shoes or have a big enough house or, you know, get enough, you know, enough promotions to fill that void if if it's empty. So, yeah, it really is trying to connect with yourself. Um, you know, when I start doing time blocking with my business clients and I I tell mm -hmm. them to have at least one Schultz hour a week, which is a thinking hour. Um, that's another thing they really push back. It's very hard to just sit with your own mm -hmm. thoughts. Now I'm doing it for the purpose of ideating in your business and your career and things like that, but yeah. just getting them to understand that it's okay to have nothing to do. As a matter of fact, it's really valuable to not have something to do all the time, to be able yeah. to sit with thoughts and be, be uncomfortable with the difficult thoughts and the difficult feelings, but also to be comfortable with, you know, just letting your mind wander and daydreaming about mm -hmm. the future and, and your business and your family and, and, and where you want to be in your life in five years. Yeah. Well, someone the other day, you know, we spend the first 50 years of our life accumulating possessions and accomplishments. And <laughs> you told me this is so great. We spend the next 30 years trying to get rid of it all and to you know, focus on our <laughs> relationships so and our experiences. You just see my garage right now with yeah. my four kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That I, I mean, I now have things in in one of my closet, my guest room closets that my that are my grandchildren's. It's like it's never ending. Uh -huh. um, if we could just um, teach our our young adults when they're first starting out to focus on their relationships and um, and you know their the things that make humans happy rather than jobs and many of them are already connected with this you know it's one of the things younger generations are much better but if you look at the Harvard study and you'll know the name of the of the scientist running it it's the longest study on happiness I think ever it's like eighty years old. And they say the okay. number one 
the number one secret for happiness and longevity, by the way, but full stop, number one, love and relationships. Yes. Wow. Yet all the addictions that we have, um, again, whether it's gambling or shopping or substance, it doesn't really matter. Work um, is meant to keep us safe from other people and safe from being vulnerable. Mm. So all of these things, you know, really go into preventing the one thing we actually need. Deanne, when you start working with somebody, where do you begin? Like what's, what's the first step? I, uh, we talk through, you know, where they are, why they're coming to me. And, um, and then on the, the very first coaching call, I usually say it takes, you know, a little bit more time than an hour. We usually spend an hour and a half and we uh-huh. go through what their schedule is like, and, um, uh, we kind of deconstruct it and we start putting in the things that, so I start with meditation and prayer and yeah, yeah. get your mind straight. And also, as, as you and I've talked about, you know, meditation is really a little mini vacation for your brain. Like for the first time, your brain can actually rest and think mm-hmm. instead of being just frantic all the time. So I usually put that in first and we work on it and we start taking out the things um, in their life that you know, we all think we have to do all of the, we have to have our kids in so many activities. We have to, you know, have the house perfectly clean. We have to, we just have to do all these things. And yet when you start looking at it, there really is a lot that you don't have to do. And we start taking out things and replacing them with some of the habits that make people, like I said, feel healthier, happier, more at ease and more connected to the people in their life. And from there, it just kind of begins this snowball process. And what it ultimately does, Stacy, is it contracts the number of hours they're able to work. So now if you only have eight hours, what are you forced to do? You're forced to do the things that really move the needle, that do make a difference in your business and in your income. And that's why people end up being happier and more successful and making more money is because they're doing more of the stuff that really matters in their career. And they're doing less of all the peripheral stuff. That's kind of a time waster in whatever their place is. So it sounds like you're like a big infusion of hope with people that just have not been able to find a solution. And they're just kind of in a rat race to like doing the same thing every day and can't get off the wheel. Is that true? Yeah, I think so. And I think it, you know, they're getting this continual message of you can't rest until all the work is done. You know, we can't have uh-huh. just we cleaned our plate. We can't rest or play until we've done all of our work. But because of the of the society we live in now where there's you know 24 hour connectivity possible, the work is never all done. We could never ever possibly be done with everything that we could do or think we should do. Um, so when I, you know, some of the posts on my social media, um, you know, like okay to rest even when there's still work to do, or it's important to have days that are completely unscheduled and unproductive, or, you know, daydreaming is important. I mean, it's, it's actually by neuroscientists now will say it is a way to reset your brain daydreaming during the middle of the, the day, kind of like napping in the middle of the day. When I actually say those things to, to clients, to coaching clients, I, I, people cry, people cry when I tell them it's okay to sleep eight hours a night, just mm-hmm. basic things. And you can speak to what happens to people when they don't get 
sufficient sleep, what happens to your mind and, you know, psychotic events happen. And I mean, it's just really, it's really terrible, but yet I, most clients, many clients, when they come to me, they're getting a maximum of six hours of sleep a night. Many of them are trying to operate on four between the kids. They might have parents work, all of the community things they want to do. It's all good things. Don't get me wrong. Uh But There's plenty of us to share the load and you getting enough rest. You're going to show up better in every area of your life, including to, to your, you know, work, including to your children and to your spouse. And, you know, I say a lot of times that my ultimate goal is to show that, you know, working less, um, working to live rather than living to work is not only good for the individual, but it's good for their family. It's good for their community. It's good for the country. It's Mm -hmm. good for other cultures. And it's ultimately good for the planet because when we get things straight in our mind, we're, we're wiser consumers. We're better, you know, global citizens. We, we give other people, other nations a chance to rise when we don't take all the toys and, you know, in the Western, more developed countries, we allow other countries to rise. If we're not trying to keep all the work and all the success here. So it's because most of the people I coach really do care about other people. Many times that is the only way I can get them to look at a different way of doing things is to say, this isn't selfish because you are going to show up better for your family for everyone around you. Talk about how you stumbled upon meditation and how it's, you know, really kind of changed the way you live. So that story is, is quite interesting. Um, I'm a practicing uh, Christian and the pastor that I, that I was really close to in Southern California, he had actually studied to be a Buddhist monk. And he was raised in, in a traditional religion, but he had left during his teenage years and decided he wanted to become a monk. And he all of the, the um, steps and, and everything. But um, when he went to be ordained, his teacher said, you're not going to be a monk. He said, your heart is still in the church. So he brought back some of the things that he had learned, including meditation and a few interesting. Other- And so that goes back a long time, but my practice was quite on and off. And then, as you know, I lost my wonderful husband to cancer quite suddenly seven years ago, and I was really struggling with grief. And both my pastor in Florida at the time, and I reconnected with the, with the gentleman, Michael, who was the original pastor that had introduced me um, to it. Um, I'd reconnected with him. He was a hospice minister, a hospice chaplain at the time. And they both suggested two things that I do, that I, that I start meditating and that I pray gratitude um, for what had happened. And those two practices combined really kind of turned my grief around in lots of ways. Uh, but then I stumbled upon, um, upon Dan Harris's 10% happier app. Um, mm-hmm. I a formal practice. I stumbled upon that and I really connected to him because he here was this overachieving news anchor who yep. anxiety issues like I did from being this overachieving mm-hmm. perfectionist. And he had had an anxiety attack on air, reading the news on Good yeah. Morning America. And I that saw was, it. I, I know you it. did. <laughs> I know you did. Yeah. 
And that was really the impetus for me to say, okay, look, you know, at least my anxiety attacks don't happen on national television. So he, <laughs> he, he must have something. He's, he's really, you know, gone out and tried to. So he went back and he, you know, read and researched and, you know, went full journalistic mode on, you know, what was wrong yeah. and this right thing. So he went back to his religion um, from birth, which was Judaism. He investigated the new age movement. He investigated all sorts of things and um, nothing really resonated till he started practicing mm -hmm. meditation. Just that ability to quiet that mind. That's always telling you, you need to do more. You're not enough, or this is never going to work out or all of that. And the first week I did it, and this has probably been five years ago now. I, I mean, you and I can probably compare mm -hmm. notes there. five or six mm -hmm. years ago. The first week I was like, it changed my life. And I wanted to tell everyone I knew about it. And I have, um, and I share it with every single coaching client. I send them a, a free 30 day guest pass to try yep. it. Um, and it, it really was kind of the missing piece for me because in my prayer life, I found that I was always, you know, asking for something or thanking, you know, um, God for something. And, you know, my apologies, because I don't, whatever your practice is, is absolutely fine with philosophy of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Except any faith practice or philosophy or whatever you want to practice. But, um, but I always felt like there was some kind of um, something that I needed to accomplish in my prayer life, where with meditation, it was just quieting my mind. And one of the courses I know I shared with you that really brought it home, I'm a I'm a scientist, a mathematician, a data lover. I need factual things. I'm not very woo-woo. Yeah. So one of their courses, the one that was done by the neuroscientist here at Vanderbilt, um, and they would do PET scans um, with people that were, were meditating and people that weren't meditating at the same time. Uh -huh. And then they would compare the PET scans. And, you know, the person that wasn't meditating, all of their brain was firing normally, it looked healthy, everything was fantastic. Um, but by contrast, the person that was meditating, their whole brain was completely quiet, except for everything right in the front where your prefrontal cortex your executive function is your decision making your creativity, like where all the good stuff is, was the only part of the brain that was really consistently engaged. And so I just found that my decision maker making became better, my ability to remain calm, despite very difficult things. And, you know, right. Had very, very difficult things in my personal life in the last several years, like things that I think, you know, before might have really destroyed me, but mm. that I'm able to calmly assess, you know, where I am and what needs to be done and then take the right action. And um, so for me, that's really, you know, what the meditation part of it does for me. I still rely on my faith, um, but I know that I need the other just to keep my brain, you know, calm and engaged. I, I like to say that prayer feels a lot like exercise for the brain, um, where meditation feels a lot like rest for my brain in. Yeah. 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 I'll say the same thing about how I coach too. I often will compare it to an automobile with my clients and just say, you know, an automobile is made out of metal and plastic and rubber and glass and a lot mm -hmm. of other kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And what happens if you just 
drive this automobile endlessly without filling it up with gas or putting, you know, lower grade gasoline in it or without taking it into the mechanic to have things checked out and belts changed and tires rotated, you know, mm. the same really with us. And yeah, you know, we're made of much better stuff, much more magic than an automobile is. And what we're doing is putting these things in place that are really keeping our bodies and our souls and our brains tuned up, if you will. I can't believe it's been five years. Is it five years ago that you introduced 10% Happier to me, Deanne? I think it was probably, let's see, it was probably six, well, five or six years. Yeah. Five or six years. So let me tell you this quick story. And if I'm not telling it right, you can, you can fix it. But my, my memory is you introduced 10% Happier to me and then I turned around and went to Soul Shine Pizza, which was not too far from where you were living and where I was living at the time. And the owner of this pizza shop and I just got to talking and he found out that I was a therapist and he just started talking about, well, tell me about your meditation practice. <laughs> well, as a therapist, you know, I, I had been in a 12 step world for many years. And for those of you that are listening, step 11 and the world of recovery is all about prayer and meditation. So as a professional therapist, I felt like I was under a lot of pressure to be really smart about this meditation thing he was talking about. In the, the course of that conversation, he basically just called me out and said, you don't know anything about <laughs> meditation. <laughs> he said, I can tell you know nothing about it. And um, and because he was a very kind man and he has since sold his pizza business and has gone back to school to become a therapist and reached back out to me. And it was kind oh, of a full circle kind of good. moment. But what a great story. so I went home directly home and I was like, OK, God is trying to talk to me clearly because I have had, you know, more than one person say it's time for you to look this up. So I started the 10 percent happier um, app. I guess it's been five. I can't believe it's been that long ago. But anyway, so five or six years ago, and I too tell all of my clients about it. And my morning routine now is I wake up before all of my four kids are, you know, they're all asleep. I get up early. I go down. I turn. It's winter. So I turn my fireplace on. I lay down. So that's my meditation is laying down by my fireplace. I do my 10% happier I don't do the class every morning, but I'll do some sort of a meditation. Joseph Goldstein is my favorite. So he, I feel like he has the voice of God, truly. So I will do a meditation typically with Joseph. And then after that, I will do the daily still podcast, which is a more of a Christian meditation lady that I follow. Um, and then I go to my little gym and my workout, you know, little workout routine and I get it 20, 30 minutes in. And that's kind of what I do in the mornings. And it has very much grounded me where I know that I can count on myself to show up for myself, right? Where before that, if I'm completely honest, I was showing up for my children. I was showing up for my husband. I was showing up for my neighbors. I was showing, showing up for my family, for my clients, but I really wasn't showing up for me very well. So thank you, Deanne. And thank you to the Soul Shine Pizza guy. <laughs> I can't even remember his name right now. Um, and I think you hit that in the head that, you know, life is going to throw all sorts of things at us. You know, life is about ebbs and flows. And 
and you know difficult seasons and easy seasons. And we really can get thrown around by that if we don't have practices that ground us. And I find that these all of these things. So the meditation, the prayer, um, or, you know, philosophy, whatever it is that you practice, the exercise, the eating well, um, sleep, you know, relationships with others. Those are the things that you can always come back to when the world is beating you up, when work is beating you up, when mm-hmm. a relationship has failed, you know, whenever it is that you need it, when your health isn't isn't great. You can always go back to these things that ground you. And because the rest of it, you know, as the saying goes, is is shifting sand. You can't build your, mm-hmm. your life on shifting sand. So um, I'm just really pleased that it helped. I do remember though, you we were at coffee and coconuts and you were trying to decide between which direction to take your business. And you of course yeah. have always been super successful. And you said, I just don't know, you know, what should I do? Like what advice? And I said, just pick one. And you said, what? And I said, just pick one. I said, you're going to do well at whichever one you choose. And, um, and if you decide you don't enjoy it, you can always go back. And you looked at me and you said, just pick one. And you said, what are you doing? What's different about you? Like, what, you know, what do you know that I don't know? (laughs) I I could immediately (laughs) tell in your countenance, in your affect, that something was different. Something had changed. It was that obvious, Deanne, truly. Yeah. Yeah. I find with all of my clients, you know, the same thing. And, you know, it's, it's, wonderful that after the first two sessions or so they you know they come on they're they're different and the really interesting part about it that I'm I'm going to start doing a lot more work on I'm probably going to have a paid newsletter around it um, and all of my business clients are working on it but they suddenly take up a musical instrument they start writing they start painting they start doing all of these things that they either haven't done since they were a child that they really loved or that they never knew they could do. Like they, they really start blossoming um, in this, in this lifestyle that they never imagined they could have. And I think that's the part of it that really brings everything back around is it's, it's not even necessarily how much you work. It's what you do during your off hours that matters. Mm. right things so it's not binging on netflix it's not video games although there's nothing wrong with those things and i i am sure. the first to say i'm gonna binge, binge netflix if i don't feel well or if it's you know a snow <laughs> or whatever <laughs> at all. But, but on a daily basis are you connecting with those you love are you meditating are you you know how do you have a spiritual practice do you work you know work out some way mostly walking and yoga and swimming we really like people to do activities that don't cause long-term harm to their body yeah right are you doing those things because as as you know i mean it's it's now kind of showing that exercise can really take care of what up to 85% of depression and anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll let you speak to the numbers and the science behind that, but just doing those sorts of things and them pull you out of, you know, the the habits or the addictions you have. Um, Yeah really does really does work and it's just I find that interesting Deanne of what you're talking about with your coaching clients wanting to play an instrument wanting to you know 
make different recipes and they're inspired. I think that that's the brilliance of stillness and quiet. And I've had a very similar experience with, you know, having walked hundreds of families through digital detoxes. You know, I've got a book called 30 Day Blackout for those of you that don't know. Because of an early experience, having had an opportunity to live in a little cabin (laughs) in the middle of nowhere, with no electricity, I, I this was in my very early 20s, I, my nervous system regulated for the first time in my life because of that experience. And so fast forward, you know, 20 years and I'm working with families with kids with very dysregulated nervous systems. I intuitively knew what they needed. They needed stillness. They needed quiet. They needed everything to be turned off for a while. Right. But these were families with multiple children who had never not woken up with a television on, who had never not uh, gone to bed without an iPad to entertain them. So these were children that um, didn't really know what stillness was, you know, and and the whole idea of boredom was just unbelievable. Like, what do you mean? I, I bet I'll be bored. Unbearable. Right. Too. But. Yeah, but I have coached many families in realizing that once you walk through the door of boredom where you really think boredom's going to kill you, it never does. Boredom doesn't kill people. It doesn't kill children. doesn't kill the elderly. It doesn't kill anybody. When you walk through that door and get on the other side of it, that is when you really become willing to do things that you were not willing to do before. You know, like I want to learn how to play the piano again. I haven't played since I was a child or you know, kids that want to pick up a ukulele and learn how to play an instrument. It's just, and it's such a fun thing to watch. I'm sure you've experienced I, that too, I Deanne. I recommend that book, um, your program to so many people, because I, I think it's an epidemic, honestly. I mean, I'll start by telling them, okay, if you can't do screen time limits because you're working and the kids are schooling at home, then just turn everything off for one hour. Everybody has to turn everything off for one hour. The yeah. dinner table for a walk. And when they get that taste, like you said, of the quiet and the stillness, they, they don't want to let go of it. They really start getting Mm -hmm. attached to it. And the other part of that, you know, especially when kids start learning music is proven to help with math scores. I mean, it it uses your whole brain when you learn music, when you play music. So it's, like you said earlier, it's this circle, you know, comes fully mm-hmm. back around that once you do start understanding the intrinsic value of leisure, the intrinsic value of relationships and music and art and stillness and all these things, you end up, it ends up paying off in the long run, even in your business success, which is, mm-hmm. I, that to me is the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is you mm-hmm. to have to, you know, reduce my success. Um, to have all these other things that I want and need, but it in fact actually feeds success and creativity and innovation. Deanne, I think you're brilliant. I think you are too. And you're just one of the loveliest <laughs> humans on the planet. So lovely to see you. I'm looking forward to dinner soon. I know. Tell, talk about where, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, how would they do that? So you can find me at philosophyofleisure.com. I'm also there on all the social um, networks as well. So Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I'm probably most active on Instagram just because uh, I have a teenage grandson who uh, insists that I am there. (laughs) (laughs) 
right and he's a meditator as well we started him meditating when he was about 15 and you know I think uh-huh. meditation for children is off the chart brilliant but philosophy of leisure you can find me in social media and um and on the website and I look forward to helping in any way I can thank you Deanne it's been a pleasure absolutely mine continued success darling Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Families podcast. Please subscribe to our feed and share this with your family and friends.